And then there's a Mulhall headstone over there. You heard about that already, that there was a snow uh, storm in 1867. And they had a cottage in the mountains over Askina Gap, which is just at, over that far hill. And when the snow melted, it swept the, the cottage away. And the entire family were swept, father, mother, and four children. And the youngest child was only uh, weeks old. So the children were nine, seven, five, and a baby. And, and uh, the, um, the community in Askina Gap put a headstone over here in about 1997 to remember the family. Hello and welcome to Stories from a Living Graveyard, a podcast series created by myself, Finn DeWire, and Damien Shields, the host of the Forgotten Irish podcast. This series tells some of the remarkable stories unearthed in the restoration work at Preben Cemetery in County Wicklow. This is episode five in the series about the Mulhall family, whose story, as relayed at the start of the show by Jack Lynch, is without doubt one of the most tragic in the graveyard. It brings us back to the year 1867 and to the fate of one family eking out a living in the hills above Preben Cemetery and the dangers this entailed. Before we start, we just want to acknowledge a few people without whose support this podcast would not be possible. Stories from a Living Graveyard was created in association with the Preben Graveyard Committee and the Heritage Office of Wicklow County Council. We would also like to thank the Heritage Council and Wicklow County Council for funding this podcast and their ongoing work to reveal the hidden heritage of Preben Graveyard. The story of the Mulhall family is perhaps the most poignant myself and Damien encountered in Preben Cemetery, but one the community have brought to the fore and constantly remember. One resident in particular, Helen Byrne, has done a huge amount to preserve the history of this tragic event. Helen's connection to the story of the Mulhall family started with a personal link to the event back in 1867. I'm Helen Byrne. I live in Askin Gap and I'm married to James Byrne. We live up under the hill just near the site where the Mulhall family died tragically in 1867. The story has been passed down from generation to generation within her husband's family. The story was passed down through the generations for a long time because Jim's grandfather, a Patrick Byrne, could remember the family being carried down on half doors. Helen has researched the story of the Mulhall family and now explains who they were. It was James, he was 32, and Kate was around 28, and they had four children, Peter, Peter Brian, Kate, and a baby of 14 days. James was a herdman, and his brother, he had a brother who was a herdsman down here in Ballon as well. They lived in a little hut cabin there and they had two acres, they're still mapped out, and you can see the ridges for the potatoes. And they had, obviously, a donkey and I think they might have had a few sheep and a goose, some people said. Central to this story is the difficult weather conditions often encountered in the Wicklow Mountains. Helen, whose house is close to where the Mulhall family were living in 1867, testifies to this. Yeah, like the Wicklow Hills are fairly severe, like, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for the weather. And, uh, yeah, I, I've, like, we've worked with the sheep up there and the lambs, maybe early lambs or something, I can tell you, you'd be, you know, it would be very inclement, like, yeah. you know, the times, like, you know. Well, there's rough weather, like, I mean, in 2010, our children were out of school for six weeks because the snow 
was there and it lasted and it didn't thaw and it snowed more. Never anything like that, but in, was it last year, the year before, in Paddy's weekend, that crazy fall of snow, I mean, that was up to the, up the height of the trees in drifts. Like Helen now explains how the Mulhall family had chosen a spot that was somewhat protected. Where they would have built, yes, would have been down in a kind of a sheltery kind of area, not much now, but a bit. Yeah. Wouldn't be up on the heights of it, but it's up a fair old height now. And the weather, you can feel the weather up there now, you know. However, Damien explains, while this was common in the 19th century, it could be disastrous in the case of flooding or avalanches. One of the interesting things about the Mulhall story for me is the potential that the sighting of the cottage had for playing a role in the disaster that happened for them. When we're driving around the countryside today and we're looking at modern houses that are constructed, normally we see them built on the top of hills or looking to exploit the views that are around them because of modern construction techniques. But what you see a lot in 19th century labourers' cottages is that they're looking to try and exploit every bit of cover that they can in the landscape. Uh, We often see trees have been constructed around the site, but we often see them, particularly in coastal areas and mountainous areas, looking to exploit every little dip in the land in order to try and secure them some shelter. These people weren't looking for the great views. They were looking for trying to build the most comfortable home that they could. And it it seems to me that perhaps this was one of the downfalls in the case of the Mulhalls, because the lee that they built their house in also seems to have acted as a concentration point for this snow as it came in on top of them. So the very act of doing the right thing in terms of their constructing their building seems to have played a role in what occurred to them on that fateful day. While their house was protected from high winds, it became very dangerous in March 1867 when the region was hit by particularly bad weather and heavy snows. Helen explained what happened. The weather was dreadful and it had been stormy and all the weather reports at the time verify like how bad it was. But as I say, the weather was really bad, really heavy snow, lots of stock was uh, washed away and there was actually a good few other deaths in the county in Glenmalore and Blessington as well. Indeed, due to the weather, people in the community were concerned about the Mulhalls. A young girl of about 16 years of age came out across the hill just to visit the family on the evening before and see the new baby and see were they okay for for foodstuffs and to feed the, or the geese or whatever. And they wanted her to stay the night. And she said no, the parents would be they'd be worrying about her because you're way off the main track of the road, even back in 1867. At the moment, you're way off it, but at that time, it was way up on the hills and she lived out over the other hill. So it was, you know, cross-country she would have been coming, so she went on. And that was the last sighting, or the last time they were seen alive. The trouble for the Mulhalls began when the snows started to melt, which created havoc across County Wicklow. Aidan Crow now reads a report from the Kerry Evening Post on March 30th. Kerry Evening Post, March 30th. A visit today to the Vale of Avoca, County Wicklow, proved that the floods of Saturday were even more serious than already reported and had led not only to the public damage amounting to some £10,000, but also to the severe loss of life. At Newbridge, the centre of the Avoca Vale, a fine old bridge 60 yards in width, of many arches built about a hundred years since, was swept completely away. Dr Hudson and the Reverend Mr Boyce are reporting to have had a narrow escape here. They were standing on a portion of the bridge looking to another portion which had just gone down in the flood when the arches beneath their feet began to shift 
and it was only by a very rapid movement that they contrived to reach a place of safety. From Drumgod in Glenmalore, a report comes of a miner's hut being swept down carrying away two children, the body of one being undiscovered, and the other recovered, an inquest being held on the latter this day. A third, a young girl, is reported to have been so injured by some casualty that her life is despaired of. Many head of cattle and numbers of sheep have undoubtedly perished, their carcasses being seen carried down the mountain rivers and away out to sea. However, it was events around the home of the Mulhall family in Nasnagap, in the hills above Preben, that were most perilous. Aidan Crow again reads from the Freeman's Journal this time. Freeman's Journal, March 28th. 1867. I am sorry to state that the late severe snowstorm has caused considerable losses to the sheep rearers in the mountainous districts of the county Wicklow. But the loss of human life, occasioned by the tremendous burst of the suddenly swollen mountain streams, is far more serious and melancholy. In Eshkenna Gap, a county district situated between Rat Drum and Hackettstown, the house of a poor man called Mulhall was levelled to the ground, and he, his wife, and four children were completely buried in the ruins. The house in which this poor family resides was altogether isolated and far away from any frequented highway, so that though the fatal accident occurred early on Saturday morning, it was nearly noon of that day before the melancholy catastrophe was known to anyone. The police, when informed of the affair, with their accustomed zeal in the discharge of their duties, at once communicated with Mr Newton, the county coroner, who held an inquest on the bodies on Monday, but little deliberation was required on the part of the jury to ascertain the cause of their death. The mountain streams, like silvery threads in summer, rushed down the hillsides like infuriated bulls, overturning every object that attempted to impede their career. Helen Byrne has great insights into how the community around where she lives reacted back in 1867. It was midday when they went to look and all they found was the hut had been shattered and, uh, you know, the, the wolf had come in and the family were all dead. But they, they're certified as being dead uh, in the avalanche, in, uh, in their sleep, smothered by the avalanche. Yes. And there was no marks on them, do you know what I mean, as though ruffle tumble. It's just as though they were, they were just, just, just maybe just wiped out in it, like that was it, just, no, just in their sleep, like no hardship to them. But it was a dreadful find, obviously, for very shock-like for the people. And I think the remark that there was only the goose and some people say a cat was amazing that they would see one life, yeah. you know, a bit of life there. You know, you can imagine the scene and the muck and the mud and the whole lot. The young girl yet again that pulled the bodies from the, from the rubble and they were placed on outhouse doors and brought down to a neighbour, it was Gartland's at the time, and waked there, and the coroner, Philip Newton, who was in Ballantlen down the road here, he would have, have gave the, the, done the inquest. And it was reported, that was actually reported as far away as Australia. I didn't get there till, I think it was a few months, but I actually, we have a, I have a cutting of a, a report in the Australian news, a newspaper of a tragedy of a family of six dying. While the story appeared in numerous Australian publications, Aidan Crow reads from one in Tasmania. The Tasmanian Times, 8th of June, 1867. Nine or ten lives have been lost by the recent floods in the county of Wicklow. At a place called Eskina Gap, a herd named Mulhall, with his wife and four children, 
were found overwhelmed by snow in their cabin, lying dead in their beds as if they were asleep. In another place, a woman was carried away several hundred yards by a torrent, while her infant was found floating in its cot on a distant stream. Helen continued the story about what happened after the community removed the bodies from the ruin of the house. So they were brought down here to Preben. Now, I don't know the full details, but just that they would have probably came cross-country anyway and been buried here. I did hear of Newton's wife, which would kind of be unusual for maybe the gentry at the time, maybe, to have come and stood out, you know, while the funeral was passing. And, uh, you know, it was such a shocking thing for everybody. Poignant as it was, the story of the Milhall family was not forgotten in the area. A tree associated with the house where the family had lived before they moved to Askinagap remained untouched for decades. There is uh, another uh, a tree in Askaki, and when the forestry would have took over planting in the early 1900s, uh, they were told never to touch that tree. That's where the Milhall family lived. So they would never, wouldn't have touched it. I haven't seen that. It's only a a mile or two away from the house where they they live. However, it was in the 1990s, as the 125th anniversary approached, that Helen and other members of the community decided to commemorate them by cleaning up the site of the house. I actually was on the site, like, before it was ever... because we were farming there beside it, and Jim's family before him, and I would have been on it, and it it was just quiet and lonely, and a a skiak and a mound of clay, a kind of fairly big mound... But uh, interest gathered in it in, 19, in, in 1990. And a sister, Sister Rose Kavanagh and Mick Kavanagh and Jack Murphy and uh, Mick Whelan would have decided maybe to try and clean up the site and mark for 125 years. So that went on then for, that went on for about a year and a half. Remarkably, they found many items associated with the Mulhall family even 125 years later. So you had all the bits of broken shattered delf. That's what they found. And they found a brand for sheep as well. I have that now. And I have two little short buttons as well that were found belonging to them. And, uh, yeah, those things make it very real and very kind of, you know, it just goes through you, like, you know, the reality of it and the suddenness of it. So I have bits of delf as well. And they spent a good bit of time now cleaning it up so it's anybody can go and see and they have a mark on it, a stone, to say what had happened and when it happened. In 1993, a mass was organised to remember the family. And in 1993, it was by the time they got around to having the mass, there was a crowd of about, about uh, two to three hundred walked out onto the hill. So there was about, yeah, they had a choir and everything like, and there was about six priests celebrating the mass. The actual location of the grave in Preben Cemetery was lost, so the community erected a headstone in the graveyard, which you can see today. However, in recent works in the cemetery by the Preben Graveyard Committee, the uncovering of a row of stone markers has led many to believe that this might be the original grave of the Mulhall family. Helen Byrne has expended huge efforts and energy in keeping the memory of this family alive. We asked her why this was so important to her. It was just so important to me to, I don't know, to just to remember them. And just, I suppose, the fact that I had small children when the whole thing was, was being, being brought up again. I mean, it could be, could be anyone but for the grace of God, like, you know. She summarised it so well in the words. One woman referred to the history and minding it uh, and passing on. She said it was like a precious flower in a garden that you cherish and you love and you just keep it and mind it and pass it on to the next generation.
In the next episode, part six, we will look at more personal stories from Preben. Join myself and Damien tomorrow. Until then, Sloan.